0: Hey, this is Bo with Running Light Ministries Just thanking you for participating in these podcasts and listening to them This is episode number 101 And we are dealing with confronting the pastoral paradigm So this is for those ministers or those in leadership And what we've done is a PowerPoint presentation But we've put it into a podcast uh, discussion as well And this is for those that uh, really want to understand how we at Running Light look at uh, sharing from the pulpit and really being in teaching ministry uh, predominantly, but it can be used in other ways as well. So we wish you the best and enjoy.
1: Running Light ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you.
0: You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglife.org. Thanks for uh, staying with us. This is our second part to what we've called, or what I've called, I don't know if I even told you what I call this, confronting the pastoral paradigm. So that's kind of what I've called this. Because that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of on this section right now where we're... Um, we're talking about uh, weakness and uh, that was our last slide why is it hard to admit weakness and we kind of talked a little bit about that and ended our last presentation with that so now we're going to talk about first Peter 5 and this is our call and you guys are all familiar with this passage I'm sure they are first Peter chapter 5 the elder elders who are among you I exhort I am who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being Lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Hmm. So, That passage again, I know is pretty familiar with everybody, but we kind of ask a question And that is an example being an example to the flock Hmm. But it's kind of hard to be an example and we pull out just one thing to be an example of in the next slide here And that's repentance
1: Hmm. Yeah, and, and when you're looking at Peter's discussion of what it means to be a minister or a leader in the church um and he's he's drawing a line he's making a direct distinction between what it means to be a leader in the church and what it means to be a leader in the world and he has a couple things that show the distinctions the first one is that we're not to do it for dishonest gain meaning that uh, usually when someone becomes a leader in the world it's not because they legitimately care about the people that they're leading it's because they want something whether it's money or power or influence He says that shouldn't be our motivation, but the next thing he brings out, which is even more important, I believe, is he says that most people, when they lead, what ends up happening is they draw a uh, separation between themselves and the people that they are leading, meaning that there's there's a, a feeling of superiority that comes with leadership, where it's like, I'm not like you, I'm superior to you, I'm better than you that's the main idea within uh, any type of political leadership or even business leadership so because of that there's no vulnerability meaning you're not really going to see president trump get out there today and expose vulnerability Uh, the reason why is because he's our leader and because of that he feels that as a leader he needs to protect himself from being attacked both by opponents as well as by the public so he tries to glorify his personal victories and diminish his failures as a president and uh, That's not simply because Trump is an arrogant person. It's like almost every political leader that you can name Does this Peter saying a leader in the church should not be that way we instead should not be showing that we're different than people, but we should actually be demonstrating that we're the same as people that we are just like those that we are leading in many different ways specifically in our frailties and in our weaknesses how can you be an example to the people that are underneath you unless you're leading in areas of repentance and confession accountability vulnerability things like that how can you be a proper example to them of how to live a life unto Christ if all you're exemplifying to them are your good points while diminishing your bad points to put another way The writer of Hebrews makes this point, I think, even a little bit more strongly, where he shows that Christ is superior to the law in every conceivable way. But he brings something out very briefly, but it's very clear. One thing that was superior about the priesthood was that the priests were by nature imperfect people who had to lead the people by example specifically in confession and in sacrifice, meaning before a priest could bring a sacrifice of someone attending the temple, they first had to sacrifice for their own sin. And what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is he's saying, Jesus is superior in every way except for that way, because Jesus can never teach you how to fail. He can never teach you how to repent. He can never teach you how to confess sin. Why? Jesus had no sin to confess. He had nothing to repent from. And therefore he never failed.
0: But he certainly tells us to do it. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so what we're talking about, for those who've just joined us, or we I finally put it on live, is we're talking about confronting the paradigm or the pastoral paradigm. And this is the second part of a many part series uh, for pastors. And we're talking about uh, be- pastors being vulnerable. and we're t- looking at First Peter chapter five and talking about being examples to the flock. And what you, Peter, what you're talking about is like the roles that are in an employment situation are a lot different than roles that we have as ministers. And so that's kind of what I get. Like, it, you know, we, sometimes we can think of pastor, pastoral roles as like a president. And, and what you're saying is that that's not how the Bible puts it at all. That's right. And, and it doesn't even put it in the sense of a boss employee right. relationship, too.
1: Right. Even, even think about... Let me give you a couple really clear examples. 1 Timothy 5, as well as 2 Corinthians 1. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy to not rebuke an older man, but to exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. Now, what he's saying is that... And then he goes on, you know, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. Now, what he's saying is, again... When a boss rebukes you, they rebuke you as a superior. They come to you and they say, I am superior to you, and therefore I have authority over you to do something to your life. That's how a boss rebukes you. When Paul says rebuke older men as fathers, he's saying give older men higher reverence than yourself. Actually come to them as being more humble than they. And he says younger men as brothers, meaning give them equal consideration as yourself. And then he says the same about women. The other passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where right before Paul launches into rebuke, he says, I do not lord your salvation over you, but I am a fellow worker for your joy. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm on your level. I'm a fellow worker. I'm moving towards joy in Christ. And that's what I'm working towards, just like you. And I'm just trying to help you in that pursuit yourself. And Paul saw that in order to do that, he had to be an example. He had to be able to show these people, not just tell them, but show them how to live the Christian life, which includes failure and struggle. That's why in Romans 7, he exposes some of his failures to covetousness. That's why in 1 Timothy 1, he describes himself as the chief among sinners. Right? He did not just merely tell us, like, this is how you fight sin. He gave us an acted out demonstration through his own frailties and vulnerabilities.
0: Yeah, so, you know, always asking that question as a minister, are there things that we are not to be examples of? Like, uh, like, is there things in the Christian life that we are, we are to strive towards, but we are not to be an example to others of? Right. Like, so I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, and, and I could tell you know what I'm getting at, but that idea of like, you know, hey, maybe... Maybe, uh, you know, the idea of confession is something that we do, but we really don't, aren't examples of that. Or maybe we're not, you know, some of those things. Right. Um, And the answer is, of course, no. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and, yeah, so, and, you know, you look at the Bible and, God, there's so many examples of, you know, when you think of examples to the flock um, of course, Jesus being the greatest example in serving uh, the people in the book of John mm. and washing their feet. And he says, hey, do as I do. You know, do as I do. No servant is greater than his master. And, and so if you see me humble myself, then humble yourself too. And of course, he didn't have to humble himself, like you said, with sin issues. Mm. Um, but we do see that so much demonstrated throughout the Bible that it seems like people are always humbled by their sin issues. Mm and that's predominantly why the cross was needed and is needed and um it, it also uh did something in everybody and that is it upheld uh another truth a biblical truth and that is the need for redemption right it, it upheld the if you will the theology of the corruption of mankind right you know so that humility was needed in us um it's needed in human beings i love what pascal says he says it's it's not good for man to know god without knowing his corruption mm. you know and yeah. and there, and he knows that you know what h- humans will do is we'll go nuts yeah you know we'll make god into something right totally that he's not right you know and uh so we we you know as ministers Uh, and this class is for people that uh, we hope to be in ministry or want to be in ministry we really bring about this question of how about leading in repentance Mm. and this becomes kind of scary and so we talk about repentance being first the acknowledgement of sin and we get this from the Old Testament the idea of people being told like hey that's a sin," or you sinned against the Lord kind of thing and then learning to forsake sinful attitudes and behaviors daily monthly and yearly And I added daily, monthly, and yearly for a purpose. And then confession of sin, iniquity, and transgression. So, and it really could go clockwise Mm -hmm. um, if you wanted to kind of look at something in a more um, organized way. Acknowledgement of sin, confession of that sin, or that iniquity, or that transgression, and then, you know, bringing your sacrifice. And then, you know, learning, saying, hey, okay, I'm in fellowship with you. Now I'm going to work on this area, you know, that kind of thing. So now for most people, um, they wonder, like, how does this look? And and a lot of people think, you know, ah, repentance, man, in public? Mm. Like, how does that, you know, how do I do that? And then, you know, I, I uh, one quote would be something like, but won't that discredit my ministry? Mm. You know, I need to be seen as the strong one, right? Right. And so repentance, being an example of repentance, hmm. um, gosh, how does that look?
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to address that, that statement real quick, where if you say something like that, if you say, how can I repent in front of others, wouldn't that discredit my ministry? Or wouldn't that, how I, I know that me and Bo have had it worded to us in the past as well as people saying, like, how is that giving people hope? if they know that i am still struggling, you know, if i'm teaching them about sanctification and growing in Christ, and what i'll say to them is look at the passage from 1st first, first Peter 5. When again he's drawing that line of distinction, he says, "Do not be lords over them." Meaning, what do lords do? They just tell people to do stuff. <laughs> what do examples do? They tell people, but they also show them through their own life. So if you're saying that a confession of sin or an act of repentance would be shocking to those that you minister to that means that you're already demonstrating that you've been telling them to do something that you have not been showing them what to do Hmm. which is already missing the point
0: so it's already like a lording over in a way it's
1: already a lording over because it is it's a commanding of something that you're unwilling to do and you know that's that's like the worst type of leadership where you command people to do things that you yourself are unwilling to do those are the kind of bosses and leaders that you despise the most aren't they People are like, hey, do as I say, not as I do. Doesn't that frustrate you and make you upset? So in the same way, God's saying don't do that in the church. Now, when we say leading in repentance, what we mean is it depends on kind of your role in ministry. Because we understand not everyone who's in ministry is a teacher, uh, someone who gets up and teaches sermons. But what it means is that the people that you serve with specifically, right? So... I'm going to talk about how to minister to the people that you serve, right? the actual congregants in this way. But specifically, the people that you serve with should be aware of the sin that you are fighting. What, is the, what are the areas in your life that you are repenting of? Because you have to remember something. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 through 12, describes repentance. And it describes it like this. It says, For godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of this world produces death. For observe this very thing in you, what diligence it produced, what clearing of yourself, what vindication, what zeal, what vehement desire, and always you tried to clear yourself. Now, what Paul is saying is he's talking to people, and notice what he says, that they already had godly sorrow that led to repentance. They've already done that. Mm. So, why does he describe their current state as being one of diligence? Right. If I've already completed a task, diligence is an absolutely useless attribute because diligence is only applicable and necessary for tasks that are ongoing and not yet accomplished. Right. So, for instance, I have no diligence, at zero whatsoever in trying to finish high school. Why? I've already graduated high school. It's in the past. <laughs> that's good, Peter. Right. If I had <laughs> diligence in completing high school, you'd be like, that's a little weird. I do have diligence at my job. Why? Because my job is ongoing. It's something I'm doing right now. Hmm. So if repentance is something that you just finish with and you're done, then diligence, Paul saying that diligence is a good part of repentance is stupid. It's absolutely asinine. It makes no sense. But if it is ongoing, it makes complete sense, perfect sense that repentance is an ongoing behavioral change where I'm fighting my sin and turning away from it daily, learning to follow God Christ in a more uh, secure manner. Now uh, our pastor has a really good definition of repentance that I like but uh, what I told the guys last week is I love it but I just want to add to it just a little bit if you'll allow me where he says uh, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of life. Now the way that I add to it as I say this if I've had a change of mind is it possible to have contrary thoughts to my new mindset? The answer is yes. If I've had a change of heart, is it possible to be tempted with feelings and and motives that are contrary to what my heart wants now? Yes. If I've had a change of life, does it mean I can never fall back and commit sin that I've changed from? No. So while repentance is that, you have to keep it inside of those confines of understanding it doesn't mean I'm free of temptation, it doesn't mean I'm free from contrary thoughts, and it doesn't mean I'm free from stumbling.
0: Yeah, and, and I, think, I think what we always have to come back to is the idea of, of that in those definitions, and like in many definitions, they're the ideal of the definition. It's like the ideal of repentance is having a change of mind which or a change of heart which leads to a change of mind which leads to a change of life. Absolutely, ideally. Hmm. But there's a problem, right? Right? And there's the problem is is that we're human beings. Hmm. And even though I might have a change of heart, I find that my mind there's a war waging on in my mind. And I find that my actions are very slow to catch up right. with what I desire to do. Right. And, and so we see this throughout the Bible right. where people have a mind, King David had a certain mind to follow God. Yeah. And uh, his heart was there, yeah. you know? I mean, but his mind definitely, I, I should say his heart was there. His mind, it, he wrestled uh, amazingly and then, and then his life never caught up, right, you know to to the, the idea. ideal, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's how everybody was, right. That's how all of them were as we've already pointed out in the in the presentation
1: right that he made some moves forward, but he never got there.
0: Yeah, he never got there. and, and, that, and that's Paul what I says like that.
1: about yeah, that's why I like about what Paul says where he says, Um, godly sorrow produces repentance which leads to salvation Mm -hmm. now when he's saying salvation remember keep in mind that he's speaking to saved people the church of corinth was guess what a church it's made up of saints not heathens not people who didn't know god so when he's saying salvation in that context he's not talking about salvation in the divine sense meaning salvation from the consequences of sin and an inheritance into the kingdom of god When he's saying salvation in that context, he's talking about salvation from particular sin issues. Now, notice that he sees it as a growing process. That godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Meaning, your repentance is moving you towards being saved from that behavior. Will you get there? This side of heaven? Maybe, maybe not. Right? I talked to some people and they're like, dude, I, I had a change of mind towards alcohol. And you know what? I haven't touched the stuff since I did that, you know? Mm -hmm. Praise God. Amen. You know, you were saved from that particular sin issue, right? Doesn't mean that you're not tempted at all. Doesn't mean that you might not someday fall back into it. But for now, it seems like it's out of your life, and that's incredible. But there are other people that, like myself, where I have issues in my life where I am repenting of them, meaning that I recognize that they're wrong. I've had a change of mind about them, change of heart about them but I'm still tempted every day and I still fall sometimes. Now it's led to major life changing things, meaning that my life is certainly different and my actions and behaviors are certainly far different than they were before this repentance happened in my life. But it doesn't mean it's not without falls or struggles. So again, when you're talking about this repentance, how do I do this in public? It's not that I'm every single time going into the church being like, yo, this was going on in my life and, and like breaking it down. Because again, when I'm teaching a sermon, what's my purpose there is to exalt the word of God. And so I'm not going to get off on a, a 30 minute tangent about my own life uh, and distract from God's word. However, I need to be honest, especially and specifically when I get to the parts where, Bo, where you mentioned the ideal. Right? So if I'm going to talk about the ideal of a behavior – whether it's sexual uh, sexual purity, whether it's freedom from anger and temperance, uh, whether it's the ideal of uh, being having peace as opposed to anxiety and faith. No matter what ideal I'm talking about, am I presenting it to the congregation as something that I'm just not even going to talk about myself? So the assumption is I've already done it. Or am I going to speak about it in the sense where I'm telling people like, man this is an issue in my life too this is something I'm working yeah. on
0: and so some of our other slides are going to really hammer in on that right you know of how as ministers we can present the word yeah. in a in a in a uh, what we would consider a better way right um, right but what we want you to realize is that repentance in public has a place right it has a place and um, and we want to just at least uh, recognize that. That we can be an example to the flock in this idea of repentance or confession or or cutting off avenues or whatever we're doing.
1: Absolutely. And at the very least, just ask yourself this question. If all the people in your ministry, the people that you're ministering to, if all they had to go off of, of how to repent, how to confess, how to be accountable, was coming from you and your life, how would they be doing?
0: Yeah. And um. that's and that's a powerful thing because if you ask the question, you know, what do we know about repentance from Abraham? What do we <laughs> know? <laughs> and you go down the list. Yeah, quite a bit, right? you know, because yeah. you
1: see his sins are pretty public.
0: Right, right. Public, and, yeah. Right, right. And, and, and so if you ask that question, though, about these guys, you know, did Abraham ever, I mean, does, do we have moments where Abraham just like, is just going, you know, God, I blew it again, and then the next chapter, man, God, I blew it again, or, or you know, we don't see that.
1: What well, we what we get from Abraham is really cool because we get the highlight of you know an 120 year life, <laughs> right? So you see instances where he have like he you have see you see basically his moments of clarity, right? You know, you have ten years of darkness. Usually they're <laughs> like decade long stretches where you just don't, don't really check in on Abraham, and you can see the authors like, okay, well. We'll get to this issue this in is 10 the, this years. This is the <laughs> good <know>? part. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, and then Abraham does this. But you got to remember, during those 10 years, like, for instance, with Hagar. 20 years, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. Hagar, where did Abraham realize that what he did with Hagar was wrong? Yeah. It took
0: him a while. At what part? And, and, and years. What, what did the – what, what was there a repentance in Abraham's life of, like, did he sit there and go, man – like my whole family is jacked, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like, Lord, you know, because, and, and, and you can go on asking this question about the heroes of the faith. Right. You can go down and say, Hey, what do we learn about repentance from David? And you just get a whole boatload of great stuff, right. you know, in some of the Psalms from David. And you'll see, and you'll see a lack of repentance at times in his life as well in uh, what we get from Samuel right. and, uh, you right. know, first and second Samuel. But where I'm, uh, what I'm talking about is like when you see uh, his daughter being raped by his son and you don't really see much repentance in David's life right. at that moment and so there's a lot of areas where you see a lack of repentance mm-hmm. in their their narrative and then t- and then their in their personal writing you see a ton of of repentance, like right. David's personal writing. So that's the neat thing about David is we have a narrative of him and we also have a personal That's right. Diary. It's like,
1: imagine if someone did a narrative of your life. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Like how, how much, how, how would that look? You know, how much <laughs> of the sin are you repenting of and how much aren't you, you know, because maybe you're blind to it or maybe like some of these other guys, you're just not ready to deal with it. Yeah. You know, you know it's bad, but you're just not ready to take steps. And uh, we see kind of a mixture of that. In some areas mm. of David's life, I get the very distinct idea that he was just totally blind to his, <laughs> his failures, you know? Yeah. But in some areas, you're like, no, he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he just lacks the ability to really take those steps.
0: Yeah. You, you, you know, if you ever underestimate just how strong sin permeates within your culture. If you've ever, ever thought that not that powerful, yeah, then I would just beg you to read the Old Testament. Because yeah. these guys were locked into a culture where I don't hear any of them repenting of trafficking women. Right. Um, and on large scales. Right. And, uh, and, and and that's how powerful culture is. Right. Um, so if you think you're out there and you go, hey, you know, I, I really... Uh, my sin issues are in the past. You you're you don't realize what your culture has. Like I tend to have this theory, Peter, that even the bubble we're in, yeah. you know, in a, in the United States of America is a bubble of sin. Yeah. It's just a bubble of iniquity. Yeah. Meaning everything every component of it yeah. is based and predicated on A sinful foundation right and I know that sounds so radical to people because they always go hey we're built on a Christian foundation but I just think of the way everything is but even even that statement
1: just betrays such arrogance where it's like have you ever read church history yeah like have you ever read about what christians have done throughout the ages like like top christians not like not like little people running (laughs) around like i'm talking about saint augustine i'm talking about martin luther i'm talking about top top christians but think about just take martin luther for a second he was amazing he was using the protestant reformation he had such great insights but the dude was a hardcore racist the stuff he wrote at the end of his life about the jews was used by Hitler to, ex- to explain why Christians should be for the exterminations of the Jews. Like, that's how radical that was. Bonhoeffer now,
0: <laughs> had to, like, but did Bonhoeffer during Hitler's day have to, like, go against Luther? Yeah, yeah, because Luther, <laughs> Luther,
1: I mean, it's really sad when you read about it, but, like, he had this idea that they should reach out to the Jews, which the Catholic Church hadn't been doing. He reached out to oh. the Jews once. They rejected, they, like, got really upset with him. And then he like totally did this 180 where he was like, Jews are the devil, you know, and he like really went at of it was really bad and sad. But like, if you go through church history, there's tons of instances like that stuff that we're disgusted about that major large groups of Christians were doing. How arrogant are you to believe that future Christians aren't going to look at our era of Christianity and be disgusted with things that we're doing? Right. Right. That they're not going to look at us and be like, whoa, Dude, those people in the 2000s, man. Dude, like. I,
0: you know, I was thinking the other day, um, the 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 day of uh, they're they're having a day of repentance. It's coming up with like uh, in September. I saw that, yeah. And uh, you know, and I know it's a big thing. People are you know, and it's so weird because when I first read that, I just go, man, isn't like every day yeah, a like day a repentance. day of repentance for Should you? Be, yeah. Like, uh, like I didn't know you needed a a specific day in the year of repentance, man, it's like, I don't know about you, but I need to repent every day. (laughs) Like every day is a day of Lord, I'm undone. You know, I need the cross and need the grace of God. And, and yeah, but you know, it's such a powerful, uh, idea, right? When you look at any of these people, our examples of the faith, you know, what are their examples of repentance, Mm -hmm. you know, that we see, um, you know, it, and it's weird because you don't hear Moses when he strikes the rock, right? When Jesus, when God says, just speak to the rock and he strikes the rock. You don't hear Moses saying like, man, I'm undone. Yeah. Like, you know, those kind of things. A lot of times we have in the narrative just a lack of really the repentance that so many leaders seek right. in other people. Right. And you don't see that there. Um,
1: so, and it's like... When you're looking through the Bible that would be you know I would kind of expect that and this is what I mean like I wouldn't expect the narrative to show that too much but when we see the memoirs right like when we see the prayers yeah then we start seeing uh, a little bit of an opening into this oh man
0: sometimes a huge opening
1: right right where you see like you mentioned the Psalms uh, Micah Isaiah right I'm undone Lord I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips Daniel praying about his sin so you you do when you see people their their private um, memoirs their Mm -hmm. private time with God you do see an opening of that kind of uh, behavior an opening of that that type of humility and uh, vulnerability
0: yeah so you know will it discredit your ministry yeah, if you do it wrong, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know, I guess if 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 the idea of getting up in front of the pulpit or getting up at, at the pulpit and saying every time you step foot at the pulpit, you know, hey, I was going to teach on you know Luke chapter one today, but instead <laughs> I'm going to talk about my issues. Going to go
1: into yeah, like dude, I got this conversation with my wife and just like start <laughs> rambling yeah. on and then,
0: on. yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, when you're at the pulpit. You know deliver your message share your message but within that message right. there's ways to be an example of repentance within right. that delivery of the message and so we're gonna get there and we'll talk more about that um, we did have this story that we wanted maybe just to bring up hmm. and let people understand this story is of a guy who has been in the evangel- Evangelical Church for 40 years and unable to break free from his depression to the point of thinking of suicide. He wonders why he is different, why he continues to struggle with the same sin over and over. He must be different than the leaders in his church. He knows he is. Upon asking him, how many sermons do you ha- have you heard before? Um, he, sa- he said he listened to hundreds, even thousands in his lifetime. And upon being asked, how many urgent, intimate confessions have you heard in those sermons? The man was dead silent.
1: And by the way, you know, it'd it'd be great if this was like one dude. (laughs) I mean, we're telling the story of a particular guy in this instant. But in our time of ministry, of uh, ministering to people struggling with sexual sin and any type of sin, this is more than norm. That's what yeah, I found. This is dominant. Like when I ask people this these same kind of questions, I get the same type of answers from them. Yeah. So this is this is definitely the uh the baseline of Christianity, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, so this if if in and this is why we bring it up is because in my 26 years of ministry, I've seen this on just on end on end on end on end and then in the years of ministry with running light ministries uh the last 15 years um and then how many years with you like eight years with you um it's it's just been off the charts so this is the norm of a lot of people that know that they have a sin problem they know something is bugging them they have what we call a habitual Sin behavior, which right there, you know, and it was... really bothers me. It's it's it, all these all these red flags hit us. I know. Right <laughs> on Tuesday, when we hear these terms, we're just like, oh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I know on
1: Tuesday I was talking to the guys. So we uh, we do our sexual purity meeting on Tuesday nights, and we were talking about repentance just this last week, and uh, I I made a statement. I said even though churches preach that we're not going to become perfect before we enter into the kingdom of god most mainline churches there are some denominations like holiness do- that believe in holiness doctrine yeah, sure. that you will be complete before you go to uh heaven but i said most mainline denominations don't believe that way i was like even though they preach that openly i was like most people do not believe that in a practical sense and some of the guys were like what like that's not true like i i think that most people believe that way and so i challenged them a little bit i was like really I was like, so when you think about like habitual sin, like the sin that you're struggling with, I was like, how many people in your church? Because most of the guys from our group don't go to our church. It's like, how many people in your church could you come up to right now and talk about your habitual sin in a way? And they would be able to communicate with you in a way of equality where you'd be like, man, like, dude, I, I blew it last week. To pornography I, I clicked on some stuff i viewed some stuff i know i shouldn't have i you know self gratified you know man i just i'm fighting this thing and it's so difficult how many of them would then turn to you and be like man, dude, that's just like my problem with eating.
0: I ate two burritos. Yeah. I'd
1: be like, dude, like I was, I was full <laughs> and I just kept minutes. eating, you know? And I, you know, I struggle <laughs> so much with that or like, dude, it's, it's just the same way with my finances where yeah. I know I should be giving the best to God, but I find myself paying my bills before I even think about giving tithe. That's right. You know, he, like how, he
0: doesn't get the first fruits. last.
1: last, and That's if things are going good, you know, like, right. you know, like how many people are going to respond that way to you? And how many people are going to be like, well, are you in counseling? Like what's, are, are, what are you doing in your life, brothers? Like Dude, are you that, okay you know? with that are
0: greed you... issue? Yeah. Are you going to AA? Yeah.
1: Your greed? And what what I showed them in that moment <laughs> is if we saw sin as being equally impactful before God, and we're all understanding that we're not perfect before heaven, the answer is what are you doing? If you're not perfect, what areas are you not perfect in? And what are you doing about it? right? And And for most people, they're not doing anything about it. Because there is this idea of like outwardly, oh, I'm not perfect before heaven. But it's like, you're, if you're not willing to admit what you're not perfect in, and you're not doing anything about it, my only assumption has to be that you think you're perfect, <laughs> that you think that there's nothing in your life that needs to be addressed. And that's a problem, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we see this quite a bit, and, and you might have uh, seen this as well quite a bit and it's sad because you know these people are in our fellowship and 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 they you, you ask them these questions and they'll say zero i haven't heard anybody they'll have they'll you'll see them look at you and they'll kind of have this puzzled look on their face even though they've heard thousands upon thousands of bible studies hmm. and you ask them just one question and that is have you heard any intimate confessions in those sermons they might find one they might we've heard people go i remember like in sixty four at this conference, yeah. Yeah. and this guy broke down, and you know yeah. this it's always something huge, you right. know and and the reason why we like to talk about this with pastors, I think it's so important on my heart is because we all know pastors that have fell off like uh, really have done something, and they've been fired, um whatever happened, but they've had to go and uh it kind of like you know the stuff hit the fan it just Mm. was like boom and i always my my heart always goes to to that is like did they have someone in their life they could talk to right i mean did they have someone in their life they could just open up on staff with and talk about did the senior could the senior pastor say something to anybody right you know could the assistant or the associate or the um you know counseling pastor the worship pastor can they go up to someone and say hey man like you know this is something that's bothering me yeah and or or is it or 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 do they have they heard so many messages with no vulnerability that they think they have to tow that strong line
1: And think about this for a second you know what if what if you had your Bible and removed from the Bible is all personal vulnerability and the only thing contained in the scriptures (laughs) is just the hard line morality that we all ought to be following before God, right? So you just had the 10 commandments, and the, the law, Beatitudes, and maybe. the Beatitudes, <laughs> yeah, and then like out, the the commentary by the apostles with all personal vulnerability taken out. Yeah. How much of your Bible would you have left? You know, not much. Like the biggest portion of the Bible is the narrative that's describing the failure of the people of God. So it's like, why, if that's the case and you're teaching the Bible, why would your exposition of, of Scripture be without vulnerability when God saw it fit to make the majority of his Bible vulnerable? Vulnerable.
0: Even when you, I mean, gosh, I, mean, I know we're harping on this, but when you look at even the prophets, mm-hmm. uh, the Old Testament people, you look at the prophets, the big guys, yeah. you know, look at their vulnerability. I mean, Hosea is hugely vulnerable. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ezekiel, hugely vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, the guy had to do some pretty <laughs> interesting things. Yeah. You know, Isaiah? very vulnerable Mm. you know so you know they were put in vulnerable situations Mm. you know for sure and uh so we definitely need to understand that hey as a voice as those speaking as it was the oracles of god there's going to be you know areas that we can be vulnerable to yeah and within the context of the passages that we're teaching absolutely you know and that's the important thing we want to get at but just just so we have we develop a a empathy for those that are in our congregation that have been sitting there for year upon years, if not in hours, in others, and yet they're wondering, why am I different? No one in the church should be coming in and hearing messages and thinking, uh, why am I different from that person? They should be thinking, why am I different from God? Yeah. And and that's good reproof. Right. The word of God is there to correct and reproof and all that. And that's good. I mean, when we hear the word of God, it needs to hit us like Jesus is perfect and I'm not. Yeah. And it, that's certainly, we definitely want that message to get through. But we definitely want to be able to share in a way that when our personal lives come into play, um, that people understand that, That, oh, that person can relate to me as a human being. Right. On a human level. Right. So, people matter. Uh, How many in the church uh, feel the same way as this guy? Like, if we were going to take a poll of our churches, you know, how, you know, how, I mean, what would be the percentage that would probably feel that way? Uh, Probably like
1: 70. Yeah, I would (laughs) think it's pretty high. Yeah. Um, the other 30 would be like, oh, I'm good. I'm lying. <laughs> <don't have> <laughs> <sin>. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't care if they hear confessions because yeah, they're
0: good. Yeah, because yeah. already, you know, when you go to a church, already you think your mind is kind of twisted in the way where you think, I know mine was, where the leadership are perfect. I'm not. They're holy. I'm not. Hmm. They got it together. I'm not. That's like the default. Right. You know, and so... Being an example of repentance and confession really kind of strikes strikes a blow to that wall. Right. You know? And,
1: you know, another thing that we look at is like, what's the what's the language of a church that gets this, that understands repentance? You know, the language is going to be very practical, meaning that if you come to a church that understands repentance and you start talking to them about your issues, it's going to be met with, love and understanding compassion and practical advice the church that is not in repentance and you have confession in the church is going to be met with misunderstanding judgment and a firm vehement uh direction to just stop sinning it's not going to be practical it's not going to have any like ideas of how to get from here to there it's just get to here you know just stop sinning just That's what's it's going to look like. Just it.
0: give your life to the Lord, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which is awesome. I love that. Give your life <laughs> to the Lord. Right? And the dude's going like, okay, I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he comes next week and he's still struggling. And you go, dude, just give your life to the Lord. Like, yeah. again? Yeah. <laughs> you go, yeah, again. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's, it's like just that vicious wheel. Um, you know, there's got to be a practicality to it. And but it's we,
1: very brutalizing. To the human spirit oh, to yeah. be in that state, by the way. <laughs> right. It's just incredibly brutal. And, you know, by the way, you know, we're talking so much about congregation, but one of the main reasons why, Bo, I know that you started this ministry was actually not for primarily congregants, but it was yeah. for leaders. Yeah. And the reason is because whenever we get to a leader that's been exposed or to a leader who's struggling, they are so scared to admit that they have issues in their life. They are terrified. They're more terrified of their elder board than they are of the congregants. They're so scared that they're gonna lose their position. They're gonna get fired. You know, we've had so many guys, like guys who are repentant, meaning that they're they're like in sin, but they're like, "I, I know it's sin and I'm working on it, fired, thrown out. They don't even offer him help. They're not even like, "Hey, like, here's some man. Why don't I counsel you? You yeah. know, like, why don't I?" They're just like, "Go talk to Bo and Peter." You know go, <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. You know, go go talk to Running Light. You know, because they talk about <laughs> <it>. they <laughs> talk about it. But it's just, it's <laughs> like they get railroaded. They get totally blackballed, and you're like, "Whoa!" Why? Well, and I think
0: I think there's a reason uh, too, and uh, everybody can understand this too. Is like, you know, you know, no one wants to be the nail that gets. It gets hit down, yeah. you know. And when you're in leadership, especially church leadership, I mean, the last thing you want to say in a board meeting is, um, "Dude, I've been struggling with lust a lot lately," you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Because all of a sudden, the nail is way up there, right? <laughs> and people are like, and you can you can get pounded pretty heavy, yeah. and and so that that becomes scary, and and you know, and that's why leaders, uh, you know, the higher up you are, mm. the humble you know that need you know there's a humility that needs to be there right and uh you know even a meekness that strength that strength in leadership but under control a real right. a real discernment within that meekness right you know uh, or old well, meekness has a discernment within it right you know um where you you know you, you, so um yeah because you know we, we've kind of hit that i think a little bit mm-hmm. um much but uh Anyway, what are some of the conclusions the old man had from listening to so many sermons throughout the years? So we want people to think through this and make a list to discuss. Yeah. So think of some of the conclusions the old man had from listening so many sermons throughout the years. And this is something I've found over the years when I've kind of brought up these paradigm shifts. Mm-hmm. I've noticed and i know i brought them up to you over the years is like a lot of people just don't think about this yeah like i've listened to so many messages and they always think of what they're hearing right as the big education you know thing like you know i'm being taught right and so that's what i'm being educated on and so this question is kind of putting things a different way
1: right and You know it's really interesting uh you know guys like george orwell and aldous huxley and other people when they were talking about totalitarian regimes and stuff what they saw is they saw the more influencing things to people are not what's said but what's insinuated Mm -hmm. right the subliminal things that's the stuff that really sinks in and changes people yeah and so what they were more afraid of uh when you read a brave new world or 1984 uh, is they were more afraid of what the government was insinuating than what the government was saying outwardly. Uh, and when you get to the end of, like, this, for instance, 1984, it's like what's happened, what, what Orwell predicts is the main – if you haven't read it, here's some spoilers. But, man, it was written like 80 years ago, so That's too great. bad. You know? But yeah. anyway, like at the end of the book, you have this dude that wants to rebel against the system, and the system finds out about it. And their response is not like, dude, we're just going to take you to prison. You're going to rot there. Their response is to actually re-educate him. Reform. And reform him. And by the end of the book, he agrees with the system, you know? And what Orwell is showing is this is the power of the system. It's not just to indoctrinate you. It's to make you think that what the government thinks is what you believe, right? To trick you in that way. Now, here's what I'm getting at. With the sermons they are insinuating something to you. And those insinuations are more powerful and moving to you than what's directly being told to you, Yeah. right? So this idea, like I said, when when me and Bo talk to people about the idea that repentance is an ongoing thing, that you need to be fighting your sin daily, that confession and accountability are the norms for Christianity, something that no Christian should be without, we have such an uphill battle to fight With people because they will not believe it.
0: Yeah, well, it's 50, 50 to 70 to 80 to how many years of messages have been preached? That's right. And (laughs) and
1: think about it. Like if I were to question those people, be like, have you ever heard a sermon where a pastor said, "Don't confess." Don't be accountable, that's wrong, you know like you yeah. so if you repent, you're done. don't like,
0: be an example.
1: don't be like how many services, of course, the answer is gonna be none right. Well, then where did this idea come from and why is it so potent in you? why like because well, it's so funny like I'll show passage after passage after passage that show that this is what the Bible teaches and people are still like, I don't know about that you know? Yeah.
0: why is the idea of continual repentance? Why is that idea of continual confession? Why is that idea of that continual humility and that vulnerability? Right. Why is that so foreign? Right. You know, and, and that's because of, there's something that is is there right. in, in that education that we get from listening to so many messages. Um, and what we just don't realize that negative effect of what's happening. And, and so, you know, we know that when we stand before the Lord, there's going to be so much that we are going to be so undone. It's just um, in a moment, in a, in a, like a quick little second, we're just going to melt almost, you know, it'd just be, you know, by God's grace alone, he'll make us whole in a second too. So, you know, all that, but, you know, we don't realize just how sinful we are and how these, these, these this lack of teaching uh, permeates our minds, uh, and how what an influence it has done on so many people. Right. So when you have so many people sitting in a congregation, and they think they th- actually think their pastors are 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 different, right. and and I had our pastor has this wonderful story where he comes down and he he just gets down pouring out his heart uh, at the pulpit, you know, and sharing his faults and. And um and one of one of the elderly ladies, you know, will come up to him and just go, You're so great. <laughs> you know it's just like a, he's like, I can't do nothing. I can't even pour out my vulnerability and, and, and diminish myself uh-huh. you know, in in the eyes. And, but that might happen, you know, yeah. but you know, that might happen where you have people that go, Man, you know, that person's so humble or they that They just
1: wanna venerate. They just wanna so
0: venerate. Much. Yeah, they just they wanna be that way. But what we're talking about is that that you know that w- there's our my point is is that there's no excuse you can give for us not going up on the pulpit yeah. and and being uh vulnerable in our expository teaching,
1: or even like I said, just to your team, yeah, to your fellow elders, just getting with some of the people in your ministry and talking to them, yeah, uh, and discussing with them, yeah, you know, what what areas do you struggle with? this is where I'm at, you know, this is what I'm dealing with, and can you, we hold each each other accountable and things like that like that's what. Uh, Those relationships are there for anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely So when I think of a list of what are some of the conclusions the old man had from listening to so many sermons throughout the years I think of uh, a list like um, I'll never make it, you know, I'll never be like how these guys are right something's wrong with me, right? Um, You know, maybe I should give up, you know, these kind of thoughts come to my mind
1: the ultimate thing that you're going to re- that you're going to believe and it's what I believed is that that guy gets it that guy has arrived he is perfect and um, and you're going to realize I'm not and as you realize that you're not and you're growing in your faith it's one thing to be a new believer and believe that right so I think a lot of new believers believe that but in their mind they're like well I'm a new believer and it's okay I'll get there I'll get there <laughs> but then after a couple years two three four five six seven eight years yeah. and then the sin not only are they struggling with the same stuff, but now new sins have come into their life, and they're like, "What is going on? you know yeah. like, and that that conclusion becomes more and more uh real to them of like there's something that's just not quite right with me and growing up in the church, that's exactly the conclusion I came to, yeah, um, and when
0: you hear so many mi- ministry so many sermons on victory, victory, you know grace, grace, you know this kind of thing, you think, well, hey, God's grace must not be in my life now. Right. Or maybe I'll, maybe God's wrath is against me. And that's why I'm not getting through this is I, I am now a child of wrath. You know, right. that's what I am. Maybe I'm not even in the kingdom. Right. You know, you start going in these directions, right? You know, so we, you could see how theology, what's taught and what's not taught mm. has huge impacts right? in and, uh, and and what churches will have to do, what congregates will have to do is either they'll give up mm. and go. And it's funny. We have so many books by Josh McDowell and different people that are like, why are people, young people leaving the church? But they never hit on this. Right. It's right. so weird. They, it's like they talk about all kinds of other things, apologetic issues, things like that. But they never talk about this issue, mm. you know, that maybe it's just a lot of young people just can't quite relate to... You know, their world is one of, they have friends that are in different sexual um, identities, different gender identities, different um, sexual relationship types. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have, uh, they think a lot more about the environment than issues of pornography. Right. Um, they have different things on their mind. They have a different world and they don't, they don't hear that. They don't, they don't see any kind of real tangible right. person. Yeah, They see something that's just so out there. Yeah, not
1: only that, but it's like when you grow up in the church, it's different when you come into the church from the outside, but when you grow up in the church, you see that hypocrisy on display in very clear ways, meaning like every time you go to the church with your family and everyone kind of puts on a face, mm-hmm. you know, and then the second they leave, it's a totally different story. Um, and you hear people talking about your parents of just like, man, these are like the best people, and you're like, I don't get that, you know, <laughs> it's twisting and it's torquing you a little bit. It's moving you in a direction, you know, and it's like, even for me, like I had incredible parents who loved the Lord and still love the Lord and walk with him. But even for me, like looking at it and seeing this facade of perfection when I went to church, um, it, it, it broke me. It did something to me. It, it, it made me believe that like this Christian thing is something I just can't relate to is just something I can't really get into. Cause that's not me. You know, I'm not like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, t- <laughs> I was talking to this guy just this week, one of the guys that we counsel and, uh, he's so funny. He's like, one of the main reasons I didn't want to come to Christianity is I looked at him like these people are so like, he, he used the word, like there's just such nerds. You know, <laughs> he's like, I can't, I can't relate to this. <laughs> like, it's just weird, you know? Uh, because like I said, there's, it's not that the word is corrupt. It's that we're presenting it in a way that's corrupt, right? Mm -hmm. We're presenting a facade. It's a fakeness that's really messing with people.
0: Yeah. And sometimes that's like a, you know, uh, we could talk about this on a different podcast of like the prophetic word. Hmm. Um, Just the idea of the prophetic word. Um, And the reason why I say that is because, you know, it's like the word, but sometimes it has no, uh, the prophetic word has like a, a, a really tangible life that's in it, you know? Um, When Jesus taught, there was such a tangible application to it, to his people. Um, He was a person, you know. It it wasn't just something that was detached from the society. You know, the word was preached within the society, you know, with people that are in the society. Same with the Bible itself. It's like the
1: people in the Bible just seem so real, almost frighteningly real. Yeah. How authentic they are. You yep. never get the, you never finish reading the Bible being like, man, like what a bunch of, I can't relate to these guys. <laughs> you know, like. Right.
0: You're like, whoa, I relate to them too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, hey, we, this is episode number 100, by the way, on our pod, or 101. Oh, oh, okay. So we broke the, the century. <laughs> triple digits. Yeah. Man. <laughs> we're 101. And uh, we're going to stop there. This was a g- great long podcast and uh, vidcast as well. But uh, we'll pick up on this people matter part. And because we have one more section down here yeah. that we'll get to, but we want to, we appreciate you guys listening and stay touch uh, in touch for more. You know, so take care. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries. Psalm thirty six eight. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.